The Suffolk Journal podcast is the official podcast of the Suffolk Journal. Things may have changed by the time you heard this episode. Hey everyone, this is Morgan Torrey, one of your assistant copy editors for the Suffolk Journal. I hope you all are staying happy, healthy, and safe this year, whether you're on campus or off, and I really hope you enjoyed this week's podcast episode. With the passing of Ruth Bader Ginsburg and the controversial nomination of Amy Cohen Barrett to fill her seat, America is seeing a historic Supreme Court battle playing out in Washington. This week, I talked to some Suffolk Journal writers and contributors about their coverage of Ginsburg's death, the battle over her seat, and Barrett, the woman who's set to take that seat. This is the Suffolk Journal Podcast. Hello, journal readers. I'm your host, James Bartlett. This week, I'm talking to some staff writers and contributors at the Suffolk Journal about the state of the Supreme Court in the wake of Justice Ginsburg's death. It should be a very interesting and insightful show. Enjoy. We're talking with Kaylee Scalise. She is a junior at Suffolk University and a contributing writer at the Suffolk Journal. Kaylee, how are you today? Good, thank you. So this week, Kaylee worked on a piece about the life and legacy of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. So Kaylee, why was Ruth Bader Ginsburg's death so significant? She was such an icon to so many people, not just uh, feminists, not only lawyers, but people all over the United States. And I've, I've read about fans from like Great Britain and several different countries, she just had such a massive impact as um, a person with such a high position within the legal system, not only to people that know about politics, but anyone who wants a higher job as a woman or anyone who believes, you know, in the liberal side of things, she was just very highly respected and highly regarded. Uh, across the nation and ultimately across the world. So how did Ginsburg rise to prominence and ultimately to the U.S. Supreme Court? What was her uh, path? She started off um, with quite a few barriers in her way. She grew up in the 40s at a time where women were told to focus on a different type of degree, not necessarily their BA or BS degree in college, but rather their what some folks will call their Mrs. degree. Um, women were regarded as housewives at that point and nothing, nothing to do with like the professional area of life. So she went to college during this time and then she went to law school as one of nine women at Harvard at the time in her class of over 500 men and those nine women. So she was definitely on the outskirts of what society was expecting of women at that time Mm -hmm. when she entered the law school. And then during her first years of life after law school, she struggled to find jobs because of the fact that she was a woman and because of the fact that she was a mother as well at the time. Ultimately, she finally found a clerkship for a couple of years and then was offered a position um, at her alma mater, Columbia, 
to teach for a little while before teaching at Rutgers University, which is where most people know her journey to have began in academia. And that's really where she began to work on legal cases, um, most pro bono, but she worked with the ACLU at that point, and they, the connection that they had really helped her rise to prominence and also gain some recognition within the legal field that otherwise might not have been possible. Um, during her time with the ACLU is when she began working on sex discriminatory cases, which is what she's famous for. Yeah. And after her time at the ACLU, she went on to do much more important work. Um, but she ultimately, Jimmy Carter, I believe, was the president that got to appoint her to her first position on a higher court, appellate court bench. I believe it was the DC district courts. And then from there, we had um, Bill Clinton appointed her to her position at the Supreme Court, which is where she became this, the, spy, the spot that she became known for, like what she became. This is where she became an icon. This is where she got her um, nickname, like the notorious RBG from. Yeah. She really didn't become an icon until very, very late in her life, which is unusual typically. So what were her notable dissents as a member of the court? Was there, were there any notable cases that she dissented from the court and kind of uh, made a name for herself? Yeah, definitely. Um, although she did sometimes work with the other side of the bench to so to say, to make decisions that would be better for the overall health of the nation and of con the Constitution. Um, some of her most famous dissents included dissents like Shelby County v. Holder in 2013 was a recent one that she did that was very impactful and actually has a lot to do with Things that we're facing today it was a voter discrimination case essentially and she dissented because the court ultimately decided um, to terminate the previous law that was in place to protect against voter discrimination and she had a very very uh, scathing dissent to try and attempt to encourage later um, potentially reenacting it or asking like members of Congress to maybe step up and protect the people that are trying to vote and play a role in our politics and democracy today. So that was one of her more recent famous dissents. Um, Potentially her most famous one and the one that uh, feminists and women supporters, right supporters everywhere uh, ultimately know her from is Ledbetter versus Goodyear Tire. Um, this played a huge role in 
current women's rights. Ultimately, uh, the situation was a woman, Lily Ledbetter, was an executive at Goodyear Tire and along with some male members. And when she went to retire, she realized she had been getting paid about 40% less than her male coworkers and counterparts. And so she took the case all the way up the courts to the Supreme Court. And ultimately, the majority vote sided with Goodyear Tire. Um, but through Ginsburg's dissent, she was able to kind of use her political power and her position and her seat on the Supreme Court to influence Congress to pass a bill. Um, and it was actually Obama's first law that he got to pass when he became president. Um, and this happened in 2009 and it allowed women to be paid equally and fairly to men. For the so, first time ever, it was mentioned. So RBG was obviously a cultural icon. How did she do in this role? Did she do anything with this role? Yes, culturally, um, she wasn't just an icon in the sense of anyone in academia or politics or the legal field. She was also pop culture a pop culture favorite in her last years. Um, she did, you saw her in many more interviews throughout this time um, with maybe TV talk show hosts, like late night hosts. Um, at one point she did potentially, they're saying, um, she commented on the previous presidential election um, where any Supreme Court justice is told and suggested not to make any necessary political comments mm -hmm. while they're on there serving their time. Um, and it's been said that potentially because of her new icon status, she might have been influenced more heavily to make a comment, not only as her Supreme Court justice role, but also as an icon and role model to people everywhere. Um, otherwise, she's, of course, given numerous talks. Um, we saw documentary come out about her during this time that she became an icon. I think it was called RBG, simply. Um, and also on the basis of sex was a biopic that was done about her during this time as well as people became more interested in her life and her story um, once she grew to prominence. So overall, what is Ruth Bader Ginsburg's legacy? I would say um, most people know her just as a feminist icon, but she really ultimately did so much in the legal field and for the constitutional law for both men and women. Mm -hmm. um, she made many moves. And so I think her legacy is really simply the importance of treating everyone equally, no matter what gender or what race or religion one claims. 
she really found it important that the United States protect everyone the same. Do you think that she's going to go down as the most recognizable Supreme Court justice that there ever was, or at least the most recognizable from this generation? Certainly from this generation, um, I bet if you ask anyone out on the streets to name all the Supreme Court justices, it would be very hard to do. Um, even myself as a law undergraduate student, I don't know if I could necessarily tell you all of the justices at the moment. Um, she rose to a status that none of the other Supreme Court justices have been able to get to and um, especially with her death also being at such a crazy time in yeah. our lives and in this generation I think that will also help secure her title as potentially being the most um, recognizable Supreme Court justice for certainly our generation thank you Kaylee thank you Savannah Nalau is a junior at Suffolk. She is currently a contributing writer at the Suffolk Journal. This week, she covered the battle in Washington that went down over Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg's seat. Savannah, how are you today? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. So what was the controversy around Ginsburg's now vacant seat this week? Or this um, past so, week, I should say. <laughs> so Justice Ginsburg stood for gender equality, and she had said multiple times in the past few years during Trump's uh, reign in office that uh, she was not, she was fighting until the end. She really just did not want to give up her seat while he was in office because she knew that he would nominate a conservative judge and that's just what he did. He nominated a very conservative judge, Amy Coney Barrett, um, who will now make, if she is approved, she'll make the Supreme Court very conservative and they will probably overturn a lot of the things that um, Ruth, Gator, Ruth Bader Ginsburg um, fought for. Yeah. And um, at the beginning, when her death was first announced, um, everyone had kind of thought that maybe there wouldn't be a nomination just because Mitch McConnell did not allow uh, President Barack Obama in 2016 to yeah. make a nomination. So let's talk about that. What were Republicans saying in 2016 after Antonin Scalia died and then President Barack Obama nominated Merrick Garland to take his seat nine months before the election? This, this time around, it's only, I'm sorry, nine months before the election. This time around, it's only two months before the election. What were Republicans saying in 2016? So they just weren't going to allow it. They said that they weren't going to... Um, push a nomination through that there wasn't enough time and now here we are 70 days out and they're gonna fight as hard as they can and make that process even shorter so did republicans break any ranks this time around and disagree with mitch mcconnell and the republican establishment who want to uh put barrett's nomination through um there were only two Republican senators who really said that they weren't going to, and both of those senators are up for re-election, one of them being um, Susan Collins from Maine. She's facing a super tough re-election right now. Um, 
And it's unclear right now whether she's going to vote no if um, the vote goes to the Senate floor based on like solely on principle because she said she wasn't going to or if she'll stand with the nomination. But it doesn't really matter because Republicans have the votes, correct? Correct. So what are we looking at going forward? Uh, what What's this process going to ultimately end up being? Um, so most likely um, the nomination is going to get approved and then it's going to go to the Senate floor where the Republicans will probably have majority vote and she'll be nominated. And there's really not much to be done by Democrats. Okay, thank you, Savannah. Yes, thank you for having me. Haley Campbell is a freshman and staff writer at the Suffolk Journal. This week, her and I wrote a piece on Amy Cohen Barrett. Haley, how are you? I'm doing good, how are you? I'm good. So let's just start off. Who is Amy Cohen Barrett? So Amy is a she's a lawyer. She currently works um, as a judge on the U.S. Court of Appeals in the Seventh Circuit, I believe. Yes. Um, and she is, as we all know now, Donald Trump's uh, nominee for the Supreme Court. <laughs> So what is her background and how does this qualify her to be on the Supreme Court? So right after graduating from Notre Dame Law School, um, she worked as a law clerk for Justice Antonin Scalia in 1998. And then she moved on to working for a law firm where she ended up working on the Bush v. Gore case in the 2000s election. So why is there controversy around... um, Cohen Barrett's selection? So she has a very conservative stance, which is stark difference to Justice Ginsburg's very liberal stance. She's a very devout Catholic in her beliefs, and that is seen a lot in her court decisions and her rulings. How big of an influence did Justice uh, Scalia have on um, Barrett's viewpoints? She aligned a lot of her viewpoints with her previous boss, boss Scalia. Um, they agreed a lot on things like um, immigration and gun laws and um, abortion. And while he was notoriously friends with RBG, they were very, very different in their views. Whereas Barrett is very, very, follows the same line as he does. So is this selection without precedent? Like, does Barrett have a history with President Trump? Has she ever been, um, like, what does she have to do with President Trump? Like, why did President Trump choose her? Um, He chose her. He first appointed her in 2017. He notoriously said he was saving her for RBG at first when the seat was up for Kennedy in 2018 uh, before Kavanaugh was chosen. She was going to get the seat. Um, so this has been a long time coming. I think he likes the way her views align with his and she is very, um, very openly conservative, very open in her Catholic beliefs. And I think that appeals to the president a lot. Thank you, Haley.
Welcome. Thank you again to all the contributors to this episode. The Selfish Drone Podcast is produced and edited by me. Please subscribe to the Selfish Drone Podcast. We are currently available on Anchor, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Please share with your friends and family and check out the amazing work done by our staff at thesuffolkjournal.com. Thank you. Thank you.